Hi, my name is Dr. Richard Mills, and you are listening to Talk Sex with Dick. I want to thank all my listeners for tuning in to today's episode. And today we're going to do things a little bit different. Generally, I'll have I'll have a guest on, and then I will answer questions. Uh, but today, and I had a series of questions that I was going to answer, but uh, I have decided that I want to give my reaction to a recent episode on CNN uh, with Lisa Ling. She held an episode um, that focused on pornography and how that plays into a role of um, sex education, but also going in into looking at people's experiences. And I think it's really important that we break it down. Uh, some of this will sound a little bit critical, but also I think it's important that we do remain critical of information that we are being exposed to. Um, so if you haven't tuned in, there's, uh, I stayed up all, so I was watching TV and then I was tuning into my guilty pleasure, uh, 90 Day Fiancé, which there could be a whole episode on that, um, by Lisa Ling's, uh, her episode focused, it was specifically on pornography, so I decided that I would, you know, wait, uh, until 10 o'clock to tune in, so I tuned into the episode and was, uh, watching it, and one of the things, if you haven't watched it, you can pause now and watch it, or you can just listen to the reaction. Again, I don't want my opinion to shape your opinion, but I believe that it is important that we hold a discussion about this topic because it is such a hot topic in our culture and, you know, something that I see in my practice as I'm working with individuals around issues related to uh, human sexuality. And so one of the things um, that the episode does is it first uh, walks us and we see a room full of men, right? And they are talking and they identify as porn addicts. And if you are working with me, one of the things that you know is that if you identify as a quote unquote addict, that is fine. But I will never refer to one of my patients as a alcoholic, as a addict, as a sex addict, as a gambling addict, so on and so forth, because I believe that language really shapes the way that we have impact on people. And so I think it's really important, especially as we are learning about social media and all the things about social media, you know, oftentimes, and I've been guilty of this, is that we will post things, but we then have a maybe regret about maybe what we posted and, um, you know, it's uh, important that we use our words wisely so that, you know, as we're, you know, uh, connecting with people that we can then go into and to look at our experience. Um, but, you know, as these men were, the episode opens as we are walking into this group of men that are talking about pornography. They're talking about how it has shaped the way that they view sex. Um, but one of the things that they were also saying is that it shapes the way in which they uh, view themselves as being these uncontrollable 
individuals and also saying things about, you know, this has uh, impacted my erectile dysfunction. Um, There's one gentleman that was on there. He was 17 years old, I believe. And he was saying that porn had, you know, shaped him and has prevented him from being a... Um, sexual being um, it's had really impact on sexual dysfunction and then after that we are taking to a adult um, an adult performer who um, is an adult film star that talks about her experience uh, as an adult film star and then we you know she talks about what her experiences are shooting adult films uh, and her experience and then it goes into you're walked into these individuals who um, there's this site where you know couples will post videos of themselves having sex um, and it's real amateur uh, porn but they say that it's not porn that it's you know it's kind of a just an experience that they want to share and then we're taken to a group of kids that are talking teenagers that are talking about um they're talking about their sexual experience and um specifically to how they relate and interact with porn Um, And then at the end, we're brought back to the men sitting in the room. And, you know, well, I think that this is important to explore. I also think that it's really, really important that one of the things that I noticed is that there is a pathology. I felt like a messaging of pathology that, you know, supports this idea of sex addiction. And, you know, I do work with individuals who have uh, compulsive sexual, um, you know, they engage in compulsive sexual behavior. Some people, it's porn. Uh, Some people, it is masturbation. Uh, Some people, it is uh, stepping out of their relationship. But one of the things is, is that to be kind of from the opposite side is that I noticed when I was watching the episode that there was, and while it is people's experiences, there was nobody from ASECT. Uh, There were no sex therapists uh, there to voice their opinion about you know, pornography and how it's used and, you know, specifically their thoughts on what they see. Um, One of the things that's really important to know um, is this whole concept of sex addiction. And I feel like along with that, we call it what's called porn panic. And uh, for the folks back home, one of the things is, is to say that there's this idea that if people are watching certain types of pornography, that that is shaping who they are and that they will act out on it. And that is actually, that is incorrect information because there are lots of people who watch certain types of porn, but they do not engage in those activities, whether it be in their their sex life, um, how they engage with their partners. Um, and it really sells a message that people are these uncontrollable individuals who cannot control their desires. And it really paints this picture that sex is something that is pathological and one of the things that it's really important that we know is that sex addiction is not in the DSM and so it's really important when we're looking at the diagnostical manual 
is that um, it was not included. And when they went from the previous version into the new version, the DSM-5, um, that they, there was um, sex addiction therapist and people who support that model, they wanted it to be included in the DSM. Well, the review committee said, we are not going to put that in the DSM. I think it's very wise that we do not put sex addiction in the DSM. Um, you know, one of the things, and and I take you know, kind of personal about sex addiction is that it's creating this label for an individual that um, they are, they cannot control themselves and that they are just sitting around, you know, and they, they can't do X, Y, and Z because if they do those things, then they will, um, they will be in a situation where they um, will be, quote, out of control. And I don't know if that's necessarily helpful as we're looking at that because there are people, and I'm not saying, you know, it's different than, like, alcohol, right? Um, it's different than, you know, situations where we are sitting with individuals who, um, you know, alcohol and those things or substances have had impact on their life and I'm not at all you know if somebody wants to come in and to my office I'm more than happy to discuss it with them I will if you know again if it helps them to identify in that way uh, that is fine but you will never hear me refer to um, my the individuals who I treat as sex addicts and sex addiction is like a huge thing right now. Uh, we're, you know, it's, it's, it's almost like there is a market for it and, you know, it can be helpful that an individual does, um, have some way in which to identify, but I think it's a really risky, identification because it can really create this message that the individual um, it really creates this this label that can actually do more harm you know if we look at diagnosis like bipolar disorder um, that can really cause somebody a lot of harm now if you were struggling with um, Compulsive and what I say is compulsive behavior, such as masturbation, um, such as, uh, you know, you have to watch hours of porn, then we really, before, it's not really an identity, it's a behavior. And one of the things that I sit with my clients, especially those who are struggling with compulsive behavior, is to understand the relationship that is surrounding the, the relationship that is surrounding the behavior. Because, for example, if, let's say you are, um, you abuse alcohol, which many of us do, and I've been known to abuse it in the past. But one of the things is, is to understand why is it that you drink? Why is it that you smoke? We tend to think of those things as being these really bad. We put it on a scale of, you know, sex, uh, alcohol abuse, all these things, it's really we put it on a scale. So imagine just the line and there's a zero, which means not being as, quote, bad. But then over here, you have this whole line of um, what is 10 is to consider it being really bad. Well, we put things like substances, uh, sex, um, we put those types of things 
into the bad category. But we also, when we look at, if I would ask you, how often do you look at your phone and check your social media and you, I, just count? I would encourage you to count how many times you uh, check your social media a day. And it could be argued that you have a quote, social media addiction. But because of the fact that it's not in the bad category, that what we do is we say, well, that's okay, because it's not having impact on our lives in this negative way. But we could argue that it does have impact on your job. It does have impact on your life and the way that you're connecting. But there's a reason that we go to things like social media. There's a reason why we go to things like masturbation. Masturbation starts before we are having orgasm. So if you look in stages of development with children, one of the things that we kind of know is that kids will, at the age of about four or five, they will discover their genitals and they will be touching their genitals. And uh, you sometimes, like my mom would say to me, Richard, get your hand out of your pants. And there's this whole concept of this messaging that we send children at a very young age. and we send this messaging that these kids are sitting there and they're touching themselves and oh my god what does that mean my kid is touching themselves and we create an issue of shame and that really is what happens i was attending this really great training that specifically focused on children and sexuality and one of the things that this individual who she was speaking she said we really need to start by teaching kids consent from day one um and that is very important and the problem that we have we create the shame um instead of saying did you consent to touch yourself in front of me no go to a space where you can touch yourself and then we respect that consent you know there's this image painted and i'm not, i don't want to discount these individuals experiences that were in lisa ling's uh show but one of the things i think that is really important is we really have to understand why. You know, I think something that I found really kind of hilarious as I was watching the episode, this documentary, is this that the kid said that he was, he's 17, and he says, I was masturbating like X amount of, I mean, it was like really high, like seven times, and his friend said, oh my God, is that normal? What kid isn't masturbating? You know, the thing is, is that the let's get behind masturbation and the shame behind masturbation. You know, it's really, really important. You know, I have a funny story and I'm, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm going to share it. So when I was about 12, uh, I was a frequent masturbator. I mean, I just masturbated all the time because every teenage kid is doing what they're masturbating or they're thinking about masturbating and so when i was about 12 or 13 my sister um you know when you're that age you're just looking for anything to masturbate with Um, you know, when I look at masturbation practices, some guys don't, and I'll ask them about, you know, do you use lotion? Do you use lube? Lots of guys say no. They just, they 
either use saliva or they just don't use anything at all. You want to make sure that if you are masturbating that I would recommend lube, but maybe, and that's a whole other thing about the hand inside an anus or a vagina and the death grip of your hand, which will never replace. And that's why it feels good to masturbate, so on and so forth. But I digress. So when I was a kid, I had realized that it felt really good to masturbate. And I, my sister had bought this sunless tanning lotion. And, you know, again, you just look for anything to masturbate with. And I remember I had took her sunless tanning lotion and I remember coming downstairs and my mom and my sister were sitting there and she's like, says to my mom, mom, did you see that episode that they had just, there was something about the sunless tanning lotion that I recently bought and they're recalling it because of the fact that people's body parts are falling off and I did not know what to do I looked at my hands and they were yellow from the tanning lotion I kid you not and I remember thinking that my penis was going to fall off I think that was my sister's way of saying you did not consent to taking my tanless sunning lotion sun, sunless tanning lotion to use to jerk off with so anywho but there was this shame created around masturbation and that's really what porn is it's it's about masturbation which one of the things is is that parents don't talk to their kids about what masturbation sex education does not talk about masturbation sex education it's still it talks about it's focused on reproduction and not catching an sti but in reality like it's not focused on pleasure you know it's really important especially you know and and the whole thing is is like when i was in school they split the guys and the girls i was in fifth grade and you know with the you know the women's experience from what i was told was about reproduction getting your period and um you know it did not really focus on things like consent it didn't focus on or oh abstinence only you know you can be sure not to get an sti if you are abstinent, which is the message that is still being sold. For us, it was about wet dreams, so it was a little bit about pleasure. It was about um, things like wet dreams, condoms, STIs, but it wasn't focused on pleasure, and it wasn't focused on consent or social responsibility. And so as I was watching that documentary, and this kid says, I masturbated and I look at porn. Well, okay, so what 17-year-old kid is not, like, watching porn? And what 17-year-old kid is not, um, what 17-year-old kid is not masturbating compulsively? Eventually, as you grow older, what will happen is, is that you become less and less, you masturbate less and less, right? And some people, they masturbate, you know, lots of times a day. Some people, it's about, but we learn from when we're a child that it feels good. And, you know, this whole concept of sex addiction and models like AA and those models, I think they do, there's a real danger because it teaches us that people are not in control, that they don't, like it's, you know, there's some void in their life and that you have to deny yourself of pleasure, you have to deny yourself of all these things. 
And so one of the things is, is I teach a class of graduate students and we are currently, and I've done this for a couple semesters, but I simulate what it is like for individuals who are sitting um, and they're quote unquote mandated to treatment and they have to give up one thing. So somebody gives up bread, somebody gives up, um, you know, music. One person gave up social media, one person, you know, they're giving up uh, smoking, another person, so on and so forth. And so one of the things is, is that I'll ask them, I'll say, they'll say, you know, when I was told, now that I've been told that I cannot eat bread, that I cannot listen to music, that I cannot go onto social media, because remind you, and the simulation is, is that they are mandated into my classroom and they are required to give this up for a period of you know, 15 weeks and they will say, I have thought about bread. I have thought about social media and I've thought about music more so now than I ever have. And so I'm not saying that, you know, these support groups, I would never discourage anybody from going to these support groups and I would never, you know, discourage anybody from identifying a few identify as a quote-unquote addict, that is fine, but you will never hear me calling you an addict. Rather, I will say, let's look at the relationship behind the behavior, and let's not pathologize, because it's easy to pathologize and to say, um, well, this is the reason that I'm doing this, because there was some script that was created. You know, when I was in school, and I was, I went on this uh, little, little trip, and I remember I had gotten a deck of cards somehow, I think from my older brother, that had women with their breast, And I remember just giggling about it and felt like I was doing actually something really bad, right? Um, but it wasn't because I had an attraction to the breast, right? Um, or their, you know, buttocks. It's that I felt like I was, you know, doing something kind of deviant. Um, and I think it's really important, but especially in like my house, there was not, there was just the conversation, um, you know, zip it up and make sure if it happens, wear a condom. Well, that addresses one part of it, but that doesn't really address this whole other issue related to the shame that is around sex, you know, and so on the note of what I'm kind of being critical of is I felt like it really creates this idea, the way we entered uh, Lisa Lang's show is that she is taking us into this group of men and it ends with this group of men and it's saying like, you know, through their experience and again, I'm not in that group, I'm not, you know, sitting there, and so I know that part of it is, is like, we need to get people to tune in, but also, one of the things is, is that I thought the good side of what, to be less critical, and I want to kind of thank Lisa Lang, is because, um, she focuses on, you know, this whole idea of this adult film star, um, who, um, is sitting there and um, she says, it is not the job of the adult film industry to teach your kids about sex, but because they have access to technology, they will find access to pornography. And so, one of the things to educate, um, you know, as I'm looking at, you know, looking at this whole idea is that, 
you know, we don't really talk about how to use things like pornography and also to use, you know, issues of consent. You know, it's when the kids are young, their parents will automatically give them a, they will give them a, um, they'll give them phones. And so the parents are like, oh my God, my kid's watching porn. If you tuned into my previous episode, um, which was two episodes ago, you know, it was focusing specifically on a mom who had walked in her kid's room while he was jerking off to porn. Okay, so what kid is not jerking off when they are a teenager or jerking off multiple times, right? And so I think it's important we need to educate and also to provide, like, what is an education, you know, to make an understanding what happens in those films are not, um, they are not reality. What happens in those films are not reality. What happens in those films are not what people are, are, you know, what is quote unquote normal sex, right? As the adult film star said, you know, we, um, we don't orgasm and, you know, but there's one thing that she talked about is that in that line before they meet, there's a conversation about consent. And I think it's important that we're teaching consent. So parents out there who are listening, um, I would encourage you to part of consent, doing a contract the way you will and will not use your phone. So I am trusting you, child, and little human, I am trusting you with this device and to use it in a way that is going to help. And I cannot monitor you, I can guide you, and I can give you uh, guidance, but I am not going to be able to monitor you and to tell you how to use this device. But because I am paying the bill, and when you are paying your own bill, then you have the opportunity to look at whatever you want. But for right now, while I am paying this bill, right, we are not going to go on X, Y, and Z site, right? Like, you will not be having conversations with strangers. When you are listening to your phone while you were walking, you are not going to have your headphones in, you know? I, you know, whatever your contract is, and when you teach them consent from a very young age, what happens is, is that they learn to respect boundaries, you know, part of it is is that my parents didn't have a conversation. Schools didn't have a conversation. Uh, nobody was having a conversation um, about sex. And the information that we were getting was that, you know, when we're listening to um, our friends or what does that mean? There's this whole concept. But there is, we really need to be focusing on teaching kids consent, what is real, what is not real. And another thing I think that is really important is, so parents out there, with your kids, please make sure that you are teaching consent from a very young age and it starts out the day that they are born uh in the future i will have a guest we are going to talk about circumcision and kids are not consenting to being circumcised we violate as adults we violate children's consent now i'm not saying that they should be able to do what they want and we should never see them put in a place of danger but i think that it is really important in the decision-making process that we allow them to know, like, what is consent, right? So, you know, if there's, you know, your child starts touching themselves, 
you say, did I consent to, uh, did I consent to that? And we don't want to use the word uh, private parts because it makes it sound like it's something dirty and to be hidden. But to say your personal parts, that's one of the things I learned when I was at this training, and especially those are your personal parts. And how do you want to share those and making informed decisions and allowing sexual health starts at a very young age, you know? I was uh, talking with somebody about, you know, their daughters were having sex, and I said, I think that you should consider talking to them about Gardasil. Oh, no, 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 no. We're just gonna, like, we're gonna monitor them. Well, that doesn't work, because kids are gonna have sex, and you can't keep your eye on them all the time. And so it's really important when we're looking at, um, you know, when we're looking at things like pornography, is there's to educate, this is not what happens, to teach consent, but also there is what's called ethical porn. And so it is people that, you know, adult film stars that will go and do interviews before and interviews afterwards, right? But the thing is, is that this whole messaging of porn was my sex education. Well, sex, yeah, it kind of is. But the reason that it's educating is because parents are not doing the education job. And also, your kids, these wonderful little things, their porn boxes, as we call them, is where that knows more about them than you do. And so it's important for the parents out there to really understand um, how we look at it. You know, um, it would be interesting to have, you know, more understanding and to talk to these kiddos about what is sex. Also, you have power and control as parents, but the more you stop your kids, the more that they are going to resist and so on and so forth. And so I encourage you parents to really help your children to understand what is and what is not porn and what, what is reality and what is choice and all those things, you know, it's to understand, you know, what it is and what we allow people to have access to our bodies and how to say no. We have a culture, and especially when we're looking at the documentary, and I thought one of the, um, the adult film star that was on there, she was talking about, we are in a culture where men are, they are with me too, and all these movements, we're in a culture where they've been in a situation where a lot of those guys, right, the Harvey Weinsteins, right, they were taught, you are powerful, you have money, you have access, but they, their parents probably didn't sit and have a formal conversation about consent, right? I also thought something that was really interesting is that when I asked my clients what uh, type of porn do they watch, because we all have those search words when we go look on the internet, um, and I'll say, do you like the big, like, movies, like, with the music? You know, back in the day, so a little education, um, you know, when I was a kid, we had these things called VHS tapes, which you would rent from the video store. There used to be a, a thing called Be Kind Rewind, and it was kind of interesting. I think that was a blockbuster, um, that was a blockbuster... Uh, thing because they would have to sit and rewind all those videos and so you would have when I was a kid it was it was uh, tapes and VHS tapes and you would go to the movie store and you would put you would go home and uh, you could rent those but you had to be 18 or older to rent those but back in the day, people used to go to movie theaters to watch porn. You, there used to be, and if you come to Manhattan, if you go into one of those adult video stores or adult novelty stores, oftentimes you can go down into the basement and there are booths where people watch porn. Probably not very sanitary. I'm assuming that they don't 
clean those out, but, you know, those are, you know, rub and tug, not like a rub and tug massage, um, which if you're into that, that's perfectly fine. But the thing is, is that, you know, it used to be that people would go to the movie theater to watch porn and it's kind of, it used to be kind of a community thing. Now it turned into the, you know, more of like a private thing. And now that we have access to these wonderful things called smartphones, right? They, we have all this access. Um, so I think it's really, really important that we really start to see and understand and have these conversations but I really want to, I think it's more so before we start labeling and identifying and saying, is to say, people are sexual beings. Masturbation is totally normal. You know, again, if you don't like to use lube, will you masturbate? Great. When you see porn, those things that are happening are not really, they're, they're not reality. And also, when people watch porn, they don't sit, and generally most people are not watching the entire film. They're watching little snippets, and they're watching it for very short periods of time. And I think that that is really important to know, is that, you know, there's a whole conversation around this. And I think one of the things that Lisa Ling, uh, you know, as we're looking at her uh, This Is Life, porn ed you know show that was showed this past sunday is that it's really creating one and and i like to be very sensitive a pathology it's saying that um people who watch porn and kids who watch porn are going to be um quote unquote sex addicts and they're not going to know how to control themselves it also there's this other message so there were the if you fast forward through this is that kids were sitting there saying um they were saying you know she said how many kids she kind of you know surveyed the room and had them raise their hand on how many kids have watched you know blah 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 and all or know somebody it's like i have a friend who just because somebody watches something that's a little bit more like kinkier or more like fetishy that does not mean that they're going to act out or that they, you know, the thing about porn is that when you're watching it, you are a voyeur and you have the power to turn it off at any time. But the thing is, is that there's this message that people who watch porn, it's kind of like it starts out something small and then lo and behold, before you know it, you're like going in and you're watching, you know, illegal porn or and I felt like that is where that documentary was really heading us it was heading us into this whole belief system that um that it's basically like this uncontrollable thing but when I'm doing work with individuals I do not take on a pathology I say the individual and I'll ask them what is the relationship between that and to think of other parts of the relationships that we form with things like social media that we form with things like pornography when we form things like our you know we form with sex and to understand that most people are not having music in the background and a film crew filming them you know i think it really is important for parents at the beginning to really start having this conversation about what is porn but also this whole thing about oh sorry there about masturbation and you know masturbation the reason that we do it before you know i want you to think about when you masturbate we masturbate sometimes uh if we're feeling stressed out we masturbate sometimes because we're 
we want to go to bed. And if you masturbate before bed, you notice that you feel relaxed. And, and it could be a great treatment for insomnia. If you have insomnia, I would. it may be that you could masturbate and you just masturbate, masturbate, masturbate. But just because somebody masturbates seven times a day does not mean that they are, you know, out of control, right? Um, maybe it's their day off and they want to sit at home and they that's how they want to spend their time, right? But it's also very important to understand what is the relationship with masturbation? And, you know, when I have guys that come in and generally when they're identifying as sex addicts because they've either did something or they've like somebody who's like stepped out in their relationship um you know or they feel like they're out of control and the immediate thing is like i'm a sex addict i need you to identify me as a sex addict does this make sense of me as a sex addict and i said you're not that's not who you are you're a person who has a relationship or maybe there's something going on you know, when you stepped out of your relationship, what was that like for you? What was being fulfilled? Now, the contract of the relationship could have been broken. And when I deal with couples, you know, uh, one person will say, he's a porn addict. And they will say, he's, and he's walking around with this identity that he is like, just, he has no control. But in reality, there's a reason why, right, we go to porn. It's exciting. It can be fun. We can share it with our partner. But I think it's most important is, is that we're sitting in a space where we understand why we're doing it. And so one of the things that I, you know, uh, encourage people to do is when they feel like they have compulsive type of behaviors and some of the behaviors could lead to um, having significant negative impact on their life and their relationships and so you know it's a choice I say monogamy is a choice we choose to be in our relationship nobody's holding a gun up to our head um, to make us stay in that relationship now I don't I want to correct that for those who are in abusive relationships, there's a whole other issue and it's a whole other topic. But what I'm talking about right now are people who are in relationships who are they have they are in a relationship and they are making the conscious choice to be in that relationship. So one, your relationships are a choice. Even for those who are experiencing abuse there is a choice to walk away. Two, the thing that we need to keep within us and to understand is that we have control. So things like, so for example, let's say, so for people who have issues with substance use, so things like cocaine, I will say, they'll say alcohol, if I am drinking, then at a bar, I am more likely to start going and looking at things like uh, I will start wanting to use cocaine. So, and that leads to relapse. And so it's really knowing your limits. And I'll say, is that every time, let's say you were out to dinner with your wife, having a glass of wine, they'll say no. They'll say, it's when I'm sitting isolated, alone, and lonely that I start to find myself in the space where I am lonely and I'm, I start getting in my head. And so really, it's about what I will say for some people. It's about drinking with mindfulness. It's about... Um, it is about masturbating with mindfulness. It's about using social media with mindfulness. It's about eating with mindfulness, so on and so forth. And it's, it's really understanding before we get to the behavior to really reel back and understand what's going on with me right now at this moment. So if I know that um, drinking leads to me 
snorting lines of cocaine, then I probably want to avoid drinking. And so when I'm working with people who identify as having compulsive behavior, is I will say, what are some triggers for you? And do you think that you can engage for them and, and mindfully? So for example, again, it goes back to this thing of drinking with mindfulness or you know, I tend to use more of like a harm reduction approach, but I truly believe if we don't understand the relationship between the behavior and why we engage in the behavior, that we will continue to find ourselves repeating the behavior. So again, Lisa Ling, if you are listening, which I'm going to tag you in on Instagram, I really want to send this message. There were some things that I totally agreed with in your episode, but there are also things that I think can create a lot of unnecessary... It can create a lot of unnecessary identity building and create a panic around porn because the conversation has to do... And one of the things that you had said is that people should watch this. I read one of your posts about, you know, uh, is this appropriate for children? Well, of course. If your kids have the questions, I think it is very appropriate for them to set and to watch it. And I know that you had talked about how do you have conversations with your kids because you have very young kids. It's about teaching consent. And I think it can be very important to show them, right? It's not, I didn't feel like anything was inappropriate. That's the thing that we need to stop the language and saying, is this appropriate or inappropriate? But can it be useful to help change the way that people engage in behavior? And so that is my two cents on that. And so next week, I'm very excited. I'm going to have a guest on my show. Her name is Chloe, and she is a Thai massage therapist, and she is going to talk about how Thai massage can be helpful and useful, and it can really just allow uh, how it is integrative in treating sexual dysfunction and how it can be helpful in restructuring the way that we think about sexuality. And so I'm very excited. Again, if you are struggling with compulsive sexual behavior, I want to encourage you to think about the relationship that's happening. Because if we can identify the relationship, then we can change the behavior. And so my name is Dr. Richard Mills, and you've been listening to Talk Sex with Dick.